0: Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota. We bring you exciting real life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics and that little bit more. Welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub Podcast. You're probably wondering where James has been and where have I been hiding and why have I not released another episode for quite a while. And the truthful reason is, you know, I've had some family issues going on and I have just taken some time out to kind of process what's been going on, uh, how things have been panning out with my family and, you know, as the title suggests of this podcast, losing my biggest role model. So, you know... Lo and behold, today's episode is about losing my biggest role model. For some of you that are close to me and know me and have stayed in touch, you'll know just over a month ago. In fact, the day this podcast was released, just a month prior to that, I sadly lost my biggest role model, which was my mother, uh, mum to me, but Daisy to many other people. Uh, sadly, she lost her battle with um, a very, very rare form of brain cancer, which um, you know, which came about all of a sudden. And uh took her in a space of six months. So uh, my first episode back in quite a while, I wanted to actually talk about that. I wanted to talk about my mother. And a lot of you have said, you know, I felt a real connection with her. Uh, even though I didn't know her, James, I felt that I know knew her through the way you spoke about her in podcasts, through videos, through social updates. So, you know, I thought, what better way of honoring her than recording a podcast dedicated to her? And yeah, calling it losing my role model. So why did I decide to call it losing my role model? Now, some of you that know me will know that my mum played a massive part in my life. You know, I'm not afraid to admit it. And like i said on our last eulogy on her funeral, um, I am a mummy's boy. And I'm quite proud to say that I am a mummy's boy. You know, me and my mum had a very, very good relationship. We were very close. Uh, I actively made an effort to see her. I actively made an effort to spend a lot, a lot of time with her. And, you know, she was actively involved in a lot of the stuff that I did. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud to say that I was a mummy boy. And I don't feel there's anything wrong in that. You know, uh, what better person to be closer to than, than, than a parent, someone who's brought you into this earth, someone who's given you life. So, yes, uh, we were very, very close. So, what happened? You know, I know a lot of people have asked me, James, you know, she was fighting fit. What happened? How did things go? What, you know, how did it all come about? Um, and, the, and you know, the, the simple thing is, it's just, um, it did just come about. You know, there was no kind of warning signs. There was nothing to suggest that she was ill. Anybody that knows my mum would know that she, you know, she operates at 200 miles per hour. She's not one of those people that's uh, used to just sitting around and doing nothing. So for her to have gone through this whole episode of fighting this cancer and treatment was, was kind of not in her nature, not in her being. So, you know, let me take you back. Uh, so it's a day in October. You know, it's a typical morning for us. Um, she's called me and asked me to pick her up from uh, just outside my little son's school, and which was odd because she'd always liked to walk back with him. But I remember this day very, very clearly. It was a day that we're, you know, it was raining um, and it was an odd day. It was quite cold. It was quite wet. And, uh, I remember the phone going, she's like, "Oh, son, can you come and pick me up please? And it's like, yeah, sure. No worries. Where are you? Outside the school. And I get there and automatically I kind of feel, I felt something was odd because it was very unlike my mum to not be dressed for the elements. So to say, you know, she was, uh, wearing a very thin coat and it was soaked right the way through and her shoes she had kind of open-top shoes on, and and something in my head just registered. I was like, well, this doesn't seem right, because she's one of those mums that would typically say to you, oh, you know, wear your coat, wear this, wear this when you're going out. You know, it's snowing, it's cold, blah-dee-blah. So I knew something wasn't quite right there, or I kind of suspected something wasn't quite right. I didn't really look into it too much. And, you know, we get back to my flat like she did when she was looking after my son. She'd always come back to my place uh, and look after him here. Um... You know, mum's a mum. The minute we walk in, she's like, "Son, do you want some lunch? Can I cook you something?" And you know, I always took full advantage of it. If my mum was making me a meal, I well, yes, I would have a meal. Um, so we sat down, and uh, you know, she cooked me her meal, and um, I ate this meal. And um, yeah, something—it was really odd because I had a lot of things to do. I was on site. I was I was with doing the London HMO. I should have really eaten and gone straight back out, but. For some bizarre reason something kept me uh glued to that chair. And looking back now, I really can't work out what it was, but something stopped me from moving from that chair because I'd finished my food and um I said to my mum, I said, You know what, Mum, I'm gonna head back to work now, so I'll see you I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you again later on. And she's like, Do you want a cup of tea? And I thought, Do you know what? Let me have a cup of tea. So she made me a cup of tea and uh I just remember sitting there drinking this cup of tea and just, uh, just kind of gazing out the window. I didn't really have much to do. I think I may have been scrolling for Instagram or something or the other, just sitting there passing time. But it's a really odd feeling because something stopped me from moving. Something really just kind of kept me in that seat. And lo and behold, a few moments later, you know, I, I hear my mum kind of, I see her at the corner of my eye. She's just walked into the living room and she's kind of, She's shaking, you know. She's shaking. She's having a fit, like almost her face is drooped to one side. And um, anybody who knows uh, me and my mum would know that we kind of have a we have a very jokey relationship. You know, we we're quite open. We play pranks on each other. And here's me thinking, nah, she, this woman's trying to get me with a badass prank here, man. And I'm thinking, nah, mum, come on, stamp out this. What, what, what's going on? And you know, within a split second, I knew something wasn't right and uh, you know I jumped off my chair and uh, I, I just kind of walked towards her and, and grabbed her and you know she's having this fit and she's falling into my arms and uh, all I can think is oh god please please don't die please don't die you know because um, if you've ever seen someone having a fit I don't know how to describe it but if I was going to best describe it, it it's almost as if like the body is is switching down or, or you know is turning off and it was it was so surreal. Now this fit didn't last very long, but for me, it, it just felt that it was going on for hours and hours and hours. You know, I just, I just um, thinking back now, it was only kind of maybe a minute, a minute and a half. Uh, but at the time, it felt it was uh, it was super long. So she has this fit. Um, you know, obviously, I call the I call the ambulance, and um, you know, uh, there's there's three paramedics that come in to have a look see what's going on you know and uh, mum in typical mum style is trying to convince them that there's absolutely nothing wrong with her and that she must get back to the kitchen and that she must cook the meal that she was going to be cooking for tonight and um, you know it was apparent that yes she had come back round from this fit and she was okay-ish but she'd completely lost coordination on her on kind of left-hand side and when they were asking her to do certain things where Uh, I think some of the exercises are like, you know, touch your nose with your finger or, you know, kind of touch your head and then touch this. Um, You could see she was really, really struggling with it and she just, her her coordination had all gone kind of wrong. So we, we, the paramedics were concerned enough to get her in the back of the ambulance and, uh, you know, have the blues and twos on and take her straight off to uh, uh, Royal London Hospital to inspect what was going on. And, um, you know, it was COVID time, so nobody could go with her. Um, So she had to go off to the hospital by herself. And then I remember she's in hospital and she's kind of like, you know, she's fine. We managed to get an iPad to her. So she was FaceTiming and talking and letting us know what's going on and how things are and, uh, you know, latest progress. And she was pretty upbeat, you know, she she thought a few days in hospital, I'll rest up. I'll be back and I you know I'll be back to full flow, I can get back and do what I really love doing. Um so it kinda of later transpired after they'd done some scans and some MRIs and whatever they do down at London, uh Royal London, that she had two tiny tumors in her head and um you yeah, know, obviously when you hear that word tumour automatically you just think, Oh fuck, you know, she's a goner or there's something far more serious here. And we were kind of assured not to worry too much and we were told, you know, one of the tumors was only 5mm and the other tumor was only 14mm and, you know, in in terms of tumor sizes, those are pretty damn small and uh, I remember um, uh, talking to um, a few people that have gone through something similar like this and actually, in fact, um, a lot of respect for for Harvey Gill, a good friend of mine who's, um, you know, um, who's been through something similar with his brother and you know, he he kind of kept me calm and collected and, uh, and made me understand what was going on and really kind of what to expect moving forward. And looking back now, what I really love about what he did was he, he kept it very real. You know, there was nothing where he didn't sugarcoat anything. He didn't say anything that I needed to hear. He kind of told me what it was and how things may pan out if it is certain things. So yeah, big up to Harvey, man. You uh, you were a massive support in all this. So um, you know, uh, due as due is due. So thank you so much for your for your support. Um, getting back to the tumours, so they said, you know, we're not too worried about. Um, they're in an area of the brain that we can get to, and we are going to operate and, and cut them out. And uh, we thought, okay, you know, all good. She's she's quite excited. Mum was mum was okay with it. You know, she's a, she's a soldier. She didn't really. Uh, batter an eyelid of having a skull cut open and and somebody going in and cutting something out so you know she has the surgery and and the two tumors are removed and um after that uh i think about almost a day or a day and a half later they let her come home and you know she's she is on the road to recovery and we're looking at her thinking damn you know this woman's just gone through major brain surgery and you know she's planning her her rotor and when she's gonna be back to work and in true mum style, this is where I kind of get a lot of my drive from um she was she was just a determined person you know in every aspect of her life so seeing her recover, we just thought, you know what this is absolutely fantastic, you know we've managed to catch this in time, she's gonna be absolutely fine, nothing serious with this, and everything is good. And, you know, she was led to believe in the hospital as well. Look, uh, you know, Mrs. Hurt, we don't suspect there's anything seriously wrong with you, but we can't be sure until we get stuff back from the lab. You know, we just disregarded it. We thought, you know, it's nothing major. She's all going to be good. And we had a celebratory drink and she was on the mend. Transpired kind of of a week and a half later or two weeks later when, um, you know, I took my mum down to uh, Bart's Hospital in London. For a kind of a, they wanted a routine checkup and a follow up. And, uh, we kind of went there and uh, it was all good, you know. Big up Barts, there's are a this fantastic hospital, the cancer, the cancer department down there, the chemo department down there, uh, sorry, radiotherapy department down there. And just generally the staff are just amazing people, you know, really empathetic people, really kind of know how to handle. Cancer cases, and and not only deal with the patient, but deal with the family that suffers as well. So another massive shout out to Barts. You you know, your department was absolutely fantastic in the care of my mother. But um so yeah, we're down there for our appointment, and you know, uh, mum's getting quite frustrated because I, I still remember we were sitting down and we'd been there for quite a while, and no one has seen us yet, and we really didn't know how the system worked. You know, she had a couple of cups of tea and uh we're just waiting we're waiting 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 and here's me just thinking you know what there's nothing there's nothing wrong with her we're just gonna go in they're gonna say you're all good um you know let's just uh let's just carry on with the recovery so I remember we finally get called in and um I didn't suspect anything was wrong um it's only when you kind of sit down there and you've got a consultant in front of you and um I remember having my face mask on and um I'm I'm there listening to what they're saying and um she starts the conversation off by asking my mum how she is and you know mum replies by saying I'm I'm fine I'm I'm just feeling a little bit tired you know which is suspected but you know my coordination's good I'm doing this I'm doing that and uh you know we just there just normal conversation and then I remember the consultant she was an Irish lady and um you know, those words come out and they say, um, you know, after looking at your scans, it's not good news. And when you hear those words, it's not good news, my heart just sank to the bottom of my chest and I I really didn't know what to say or what to do. And the next words out of her mouth were, you've got a severe case of brain cancer. Um, and the prognosis, the longest prognosis somebody's had with something like this is, is 14 months. And, uh, she mentions the word 14 months and I'm like, uh, okay, uh, is it months or years? And I'm, was, I'm thinking to myself, am I, am I hearing this correctly or is something, um, have they made a mistake? And no, she was, she was absolutely right and clear in everything she was saying and, uh, I remember looking over to the left, and my mum was sitting there next to me, and I'm watching her facial reactions, and she didn't even flinch. You know, there was no, there was no movement. There was no like, oh my god, or, oh, you know, what, what, what's going on here? You know, so I had to turn around and just hold her hand, and I said to her, I "Go, mum. Do you do you actually understand?" what they're saying to you and she just nodded her head and she said yeah yeah i understand what they're saying Uh, i understand that they're telling me i don't have long to live and um i um i remember thinking thank god for this um you know face mask Um, i didn't really often wear a face mask but that day i was i was so glad that i was wearing a face mask because she could not see my reaction underneath this face mask because it was completely up on my nose and covering my chin but I can tell you one thing. I was, uh, my mouth was, um, it was kind of, it was sobbing. It was out of control, you know. But I, I couldn't let her see that this is, uh, this has massively affected me because I'm supposed to be her pillar of support here while sitting with her. I remember shortly after that, um, Hannah, the nurse who was looking after her, who was again uh, a fantastic lady. Uh, got a lot, a lot of time and a lot of respect for her um she asked us to just wait in the waiting area and uh, because they were going to get us in to see another another consultant just after that I remember going outside and I said to mum, hey mum, just you sit down take a seat here I'm gonna just go and get you a a coffee or a, or a tea or something to drink and um I remember walking away from her leaving her on that chair and I remember trying to make a phone call to my wife and Telling her what the what the hospital had just said to me and what news they just delivered and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're you're so upset and you're so emotionally uh, high that you're trying to you're trying to say something but the words just ain't coming out. you know the words are they're there, but you just can't get the words out. And emotion takes over, and you're in, and you're in tears. And I, I still remember it like it was yesterday, and I can remember that feeling, and I can feel that feeling right now as I'm, as I'm recording this podcast. Um, and it was, it was, it was just so, so kind of so upsetting, so upsetting trying to, trying to break that news, and I can hear my wife, you know, my wife's a quite an emotional person, you know, and. Um, uh, she was on the other side trying to stay strong for me, you know, because she could see I was upset. Um so I had to I had to get off the phone and eventually just kind of voice note her because I I couldn't I couldn't get the words out to say what I needed to say. And I remember shortly after that, I remember going outside um Bart's hospital and just standing there uh, by this pillar. Uh, A grown-ass man, 39 years old, in in tears. Actually, no, I was 38 at the time. I remember standing there, bawling my eyes out, and I didn't care who saw me. I didn't care what anybody around me thought, because I knew I had to get those emotions out there and then, because I had to get back in and face my mum and make sure she was okay, because... I wasn't actually going through this. I was just supporting my mum through it, you know, and I needed to be that strong pillar for her. So, yeah, so I'm standing in the middle of the street in London. Um, it's lockdown time, so there's not many people around. And, you know, you can, when you're in a cancer hospital or when you're there around cancer patients, It's um, it soon became okay to cry because I'd see people crying all the time after that. Maybe I noticed it a lot more, having gone through it myself, but you know it suddenly became okay to see a grown man crying or a uh, you know uh, just a man crying or a woman crying or you know somebody getting some bad news, and you could always tell when somebody got bad news after that so i remember I remember going back into the into the hospital where my mum was, and uh, just sitting with her holding her hand and uh you know, she said something really strange, not really strange to me, actually. It wasn't strange. It was typical, my mum's language. She said to me, Son, this cancer's not going to decide when I leave. I'm going to decide when I leave. And I just thought, wow. You know, she has literally just been hit by a bus, and she's still the most upbeat person I know, the most, most upbeat person. And she looked at me and she said to me she said to me Ronani, and in in, in Punjabi that basically means you're not going to cry you're not going to get upset. And obviously when she said that she had me in even further further tears and you know it just all started again in front of her and I'm supposed to be this uh, big big macho man keeping myself together but you know um, when you're that close to someone you feel their pain you live their pain you go through their pain. So yeah, it was a it was a tough old it was a tough old day that day. I remember getting back into the taxi now. Actually no, before we got back into the taxi, I remember we went in and saw this consultant. And you know this consultant gave us some hope. You know, he said to us he goes, "Look, I I would expect someone like your mum who's never ever been ill, someone who's been fighting fit her whole life to really have a standing chance of fighting this and Although it's never going to go away, we could contain it, you know, we could shrink it, we could buy her some time. And it really did give us some hope. And we thought, you know what, if we can get um, maybe a few extra years with her, you know, or a year with her, it'd be absolutely fantastic. Um, And uh, again, she was just, you know, emotionless. She didn't say anything. She just kept her cool. And uh, I'm thinking, God, man, she's going to crack at some point. You, you just can't be told that news and not crack. Um, so after that, we head home. You know, we're we're back in this Uber. We're going home. And it, it was just silence all the way through. Silence with, I think, her just holding her hand. Nothing was really said. Um, we come back to my place again. We came back to my flat. And I remember her... Um, coming in sitting down on the sofa lying down because she'd had quite a long day and that was it that that is the point where she she cried that was the point where i think the true emotions hit in and she knew what was going on and she broke down and it's not very often in my life of uh, you know knowing my mum for 39 years or you know being brought up by my mum there's not been many times i've ever seen that woman cry and this was one of those times where I saw her cry and I really saw her cry when I meant she was crying. I knew she was scared. I knew she was absolutely terrified with what was going on. Um, And, uh, you know, my wife, my wife shortly after that came home from work. And again, she she kind of before she came into the house, she called me downstairs and uh, she just needed to console herself in the car. You know, she she was in tears herself because she knew what the what what just been what's just happened what we've just been hit with um and then you know uh, she comes back in she keeps a brave face and you know keeping my mum completely entertained and trying not to get her down in a dark place um but yeah i guess at that point we knew what we were up against and then you know the journey begins of of really getting into fighting cancer um what was completely remarkable to me throughout all of this was, um, I'm looking at my mother and thinking how, how damn strong she is. You know, I always knew she was a strong character from us being little children, me and my sister, having lost my dad when I was, was six or seven years old, uh, knowing what a positive role model she was in our lives in terms of, bringing us both up, putting us through education and really getting us through life and giving us the best start she could with the resources that she had. I knew she was always a strong character, but this was a different kind of strong. You know, this was a strong where there was no, there was very tiny amount of hope and ultimately your cards had been dealt and you knew you were going to die. And seeing the way she reacted to this, seeing the way she got through this, it's something that will stick with me forever. You know, the strength that she's given me through her fight is something that keeps me going every single day and allows me to carry on fighting throughout, um, throughout this all. And hopefully will continue to allow me to, to kind of go from strength to strength. I remember um, the chemo, the chemo session started. Uh, the radiotherapy session started and in true mum style you know she was ready to go she's ready to take these and people have told her you know Daisy these can really kind of knock you for six and um, you know they're really going to have a have a real massive uh impact on your system you're going to be weak you know you're going to feel sleepy all the time and you know it didn't phase her she was like you know I'm ready come on let's do this let's do this I want to take this treatment I want to try and buy some time and for her it was just time with her grandchildren, with her children, with her family, with her loved ones Um, so she was raring to go. They prescribed her 28 sessions of chemotherapy and 28 sessions of radiotherapy and she was literally going in every single day Monday to Friday so someone was always accompanying her to the hospital Um, and it was amazing to see her strength in getting through this all. Um, She took it very very well, she took it extremely well. I remember sitting in radiotherapy rooms and talking to uh, people that were having two or three sessions or six sessions, and when they found out how many sessions my mum was happening, you know, everybody was kind of admirable to her uh, to say, you know what, this isn't easy what you're doing, and what you're going through with these massive amounts of, uh, you know, sessions and- that they've given you in one go, it's, it's admirable that you're actually doing them and that your body's actually taking them grown men were telling her that you know we couldn't do it we gave up after five or six sessions we'd just rather live with the cancer and and buy whatever time we've got so it was really really nice to see how positive she was going into a situation not knowing if she was going to come out of it um, in a positive way or if she was going to come out of it in a negative way so watching her go in and and just have so much strength. It's just, I think back now and I just think, wow. You know, that's, that's the only word I've got is wow. You knew the outcome was so slim, but you still put yourself through this just to buy yourself extra time if you could. So, cut a long story short, I won't go into it too much, but after, after doing 28 sessions of chemo and radiotherapy, her body couldn't take any more. And, you know, I think we as a family knew it hadn't worked because she was just rapidly going downhill and um you know she um little things like she couldn't she she was having trouble speaking she was having trouble eating uh you got to remember this is a period of 6 months and 1 week so 6 months and 1 week from the period of having a fit to the period of losing her life was only six months and one week. And in that period of those six months, we watched her go from someone who could, uh, she could walk, she could talk, she could eat, she could communicate, she could get on the phone, she could do all the usual things that somebody would do. And, And to watch her demise go down so, so, so quickly and watch her go from perfectly fit to her last days where she couldn't eat, where she couldn't drink, when she couldn't talk... Um it's amazing how, how quickly this cancer can get someone and take someone um who's so physically fit down to someone who's just, you know, can't do anything, can't go to the toilet on their own, is bedridden and is literally just waiting there to die. So, uh, you, you know what? You hear that cancer word and you just think it's never going to happen to my family. It's never, ever going to happen to me. I'm never going to have to go through it. And it's just amazing when you do how what an evil disease it is and and how it really does tear people up I guess one of the positive things in in all of this in losing losing my role model as I like to call this title was that it was always a massive fear of mine losing my mum it's one of the things that has really really bugged me really upset me over the last few years in fact it's um it's something that I I always dreaded because I thought I do not know how I would react to it because she is such an important part in my life. I didn't know how I'd react. I didn't know what I'd be like as a person. I didn't know if I'd go off the rails, start drinking, blah blah you know, do all kinds of nonsense. But I think one of the, one of the positives in all this is I kind of knew she was going to go. So I had a lot, a lot of time to, to gear myself up towards it. I had a lot of time to kind of... Uh, really process what was going on and process um process the whole energy and process everything that was happening um so yeah so it kind of allowed me to go on this journey with her and I remember um saying to her when she was right kind of maybe four months in five months in and she's really ill and she's like she's asking me she's saying son you know what's happening to me you know uh, I don't know, am I going to die? And I'm just like, look, Mum. you know, I obviously I'm not going to tell her, that's it, you're on your way out. I had to kind of say to her, look, you know, you've worked hard all your life, you know, Mum, this is your period just to kick back, relax, take some time just to enjoy sitting back and doing nothing and being in a bed and just, you know, watching some TV and relaxing. And that was my way of saying to her, you know, just, just chill. Um, but you know, she wasn't stupid. She wasn't stupid at all. And, uh, she said to me, you know, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about how you're going to be, how you will be if I do die. In all of this, you know, this woman should have been worried about herself. And, you know, here she is more concerned about how the people are going to be, the loved ones that she leaves behind. And um, I remember one uh, one weekend where she was really bad. So my sister and uh, my wife organized a, a kind of a Reiki healer for her. And, um, you know, this Reiki healer comes in and she does her thing and I'm not really believed in any of this stuff. I've always thought it's a load of mumbo-jumbo. And, you know, it really helped my mum in the sense that it helped her relax. She gave her a massage and it helped her muscles. And then the odd thing was, when my sister went to try and book her for the, a couple of days later, her words were, I don't think I'm going to need to come back because I can feel her passing on to the other side. And... We were like, "What the hell, man? What do you mean by that? Passing on to the other side." So this Reiki healer could feel that her, her body, her soul, her everything was was ready to kind of go, uh, and depart and leave us. So um, we knew we knew it wasn't far away, and this was probably at month month kind of four four and a half. Um, I knew one of my mum's uh, last wishes was to be around her whole family, and you know to have everybody around her caring for her and just being with her and i knew this wasn't going to be possible with where she was staying because she was staying in um, in uh, in a kind of first floor flat so we had to try and really kind of get her out of that flat and into a uh, into a ground floor place where everybody can be with her it just so happens that you know um where i stay at the moment the it's a converted victorian house and the ground floor became available and came up for sale so we were able to buy that very very quickly uh and 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 move my mum in and uh, it's quite ironic actually because this is the same place she said to me when i sold it son don't ever sell anything because you will either end up buying it back for far more or you'd never afford to be able to buy it back and I thought, how ironic, I'm having to buy this place back to move my mum in, and it's the same woman who told me not to sell this place in the first place. So, yeah, I found that quite funny at the time. But anyway, we were able to get her into this, this ground floor flat, and the whole family was around her, you know, my boys were around her, um, you know, my sister was there, family was coming, going, seeing her. Although she was finding it even more difficult to communicate and talk, and her energy levels were very, really low, I think um you know we managed to fulfill her her wishes of getting her into this place and getting her um around her family in um in record time really so thank you for everybody who made that purchase possible and made it possible for us to uh, kind of have a uh, have her with us in our kind of last nine days um dusted off the old tool skills and was able to convert the bathroom into a wet room. It's pretty proud of that. To be fair, looked better. You know, me and my me and my cousin were able to kind of jump onto YouTube, find a few videos and you know, we actually worked out how to convert this whole bathroom into a wet room, done the drainage. So we're pretty proud of that and I, you know, ironic thing is she used it twice before passing away, but hey, the bathroom was still there for her. But I guess knowing that your parents going to die is um it's a difficult thing for anybody, you know, and then knowing that they're going through pain is, is difficult even more. I think the other thing that for me, which was very, very difficult to comprehend, was as well that she'd only just turned 65 and I knew she had some great plans of wanting to retire, uh, wanting to chill and really kind of hang her boots up. And my mum is someone who's worked really hard her whole life. You know, she hasn't had it easy. She's made some great decisions along the way. And I often used to say to her, I said, you know, mum, with the limited resources that you had as a person, you have done some absolutely amazing things in your life. And I am so proud of what you've achieved. You know, what you've achieved in your life and the way you've been able to help me, the way you've been able to help my sister has just been simply mind-blowing, has been simply amazing on how you've done that you know so it was always so nice to kind of you know congratulate her basically on her achievements because there was so much she did with such limited resources so yeah that was one of my other pain points was that she never got to enjoy um, the fruits of her labor and that kind of got me thinking you know life is just too damn short and you really you just really don't know what's around the corner you know one minute you're okay, and the next minute you're not. And something that I'm so glad of is being in property and working for myself really allowed me to just stop. I could just down tools and be there and do what I needed to do. You know, towards the end, when my sister came over from Dubai to look after my mum, I really couldn't be around my mum the last few weeks. For me, it was. It was too much of a painful journey to see her change so much as a person, you know. I wanted to remain with those happy memories in my mind. I wanted to make sure all the memories that I had in it of her were happy memories. And I didn't want to see her where she couldn't talk, where she couldn't where she was mumbling, where she was finding it difficult to hold her hands up, where she couldn't walk. So for me, it became difficult to see her for long periods of time towards the end. But, you know, I'd always pop in when she was sleeping at night and rub her head and just, you know, say what I needed to say. So the last day, the last day I still remember it, It's when this podcast releases on Thursday. It'll be exactly a month since she passed away. Um I remember holding her hand, uh looking in her face. And literally watching her take her last breaths. And if anybody's ever seen this, it's such a surreal experience. You literally just, you can, you feel someone's soul leaving their body. Um, I'm glad she was at home. I'm glad we were all around her. And I'm, I'm, you know, as sad as I am she's not here. I'm glad that she's not in pain anymore. And I know it's a ironic thing that people always say, oh, you know she's in a better place. But for someone who was going through so much pain with this cancer and she never, never, ever moaned about it was, uh, was, um, you know, amazing to see her strength again. I keep referring to this word strength, strength, strength. It was always so amazing to see her strength. Um, and yeah, I, in a weird kind of way, I was, I was glad that she was now at peace and I'm glad I was able to hold her hand and it kind of, it comes full circle, really, doesn't it, you know? Um, I watched her have a fit, I held her hand. She was given bad news, I held her hand. Um, she was going through radiotherapy and chemotherapy, I held her hand. She takes her last breaths and I'm holding her hand, you know, and it just, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, There were so many times when she would have been holding your hand throughout your life when you were going through certain stages, when you were learning to walk, when you were a baby, when you were born, you know. So it was that whole thing, that cliche thing where people say you come with nothing and you go with nothing. It's absolutely true. You know, the minute she took her last breath, I don't think she was worried about how much money she had. I don't think she was worried about what's going to happen to her assets because that is it. Bang, when you're dead... You are dead, and that is it. you're gone. I think too many people forget the fact that you know um, death is around the corner for everybody. It's something we can't escape, it's something we can't get away from. and it's really helped me understand that I want to live my life totally differently. you know I don't want to be chasing the dollar. I've chased the dollar long enough. I've had the dollar before, well not the dollar, the pound, I've had the nice things and ultimately when it comes to it, them things don't really mean shit. You know, you've got to ask yourself who is going to be there for you in your time of need, who is going to be there supporting you when shit hits the fan and it's taken me long enough to realise this and I've realised they are the things that I am now going to solely focus on, our relationships. Uh, people that matter and you know creating memories because when you see someone right in front of your eyes lose their whole life in such a short period of time it really does change the way you look at life. I want to take you through the funeral day because I think this is quite an important day. So mum's funeral was held quite um, early after she passed away um, the first date that was available we wanted to put her to rest And, um, you know, in true, in true mum style, she said to me, I, I don't want a fussy funeral. I don't want this. I don't want that. But, you know, being the lady that she is, we, we felt she deserved a, you know, a great funeral. So we did, we did organize a great funeral for her. And it was a beautiful day. And that's how I'd like to, you know, that's the best way I can describe it. it was an absolutely beautiful day. Um, I remember. Going to see my mum in the morgue in the morning when uh, my sister and my wife had just got her ready to be placed in the coffin. I remember placing my head sorry, my hand on her head, and I remember her body being so cold, so, so, so cold. But I looked at her and she just looked so peaceful and she looked as if she was sleeping. And I remember holding her hand and I asked my wife and my sister if I could have five minutes on my own with her. And I just stood there. And I just stared at her and I held her hand and all I could say was thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. You've been the, you've been the most amazing person in my life. You've taught me so many things that I'm going to take forward. You've given me so many opportunities, so many skills. And I can't stand here and think of one negative thing to say about you. Or one negative memory that comes to mind, or one negative, you know, one argument that even sticks out. That's how good my relationship was with my mum. That even when she was lying there about to be put to rest, there was nothing. There was nothing but happy, positive things that I can think about her. So um, we decided one of the things we wanted to do on her funeral day was take her. uh, So her body was placed in the in the hearse, and we had some white horses. And uh, she was taken past her workplace. Now, anybody that knew my mum would know that her work was her life. She was a carer. She worked and cared for severely disabled uh, adults, uh, a job that required severe amounts of patience, you know. And uh, and she was somebody who could do this job very very well. So we we decided that we wanted to take the, the her body past this workplace and kind of stop outside her workplace. Um My emotions were pretty much in check for most of the day but when we got to uh when we got to this uh, her workplace and the and the hearse pulled up outside they had these massive balloon uh with her name spelled out daisy and people were clapping for her and you know it was at that point i realized how much she was loved outside of her family how many people actually loved my mom you know how many people's life she actually touched and how much of a positive person she was in everybody's life. And I remember getting out the the, the, the car and just standing there. And you know, it was, there was a very very good reason that day why I was wearing sunglasses because I knew there'll be periods in the day where my eyes will be bawling out. And I I kind of I wanted to just keep my emotions in check. And I remember that was the first point of the day where I just could not control my emotions, seeing people clapping for her. And, and you know, when you watch somebody who's, uh, you know, mentally disabled in such a way that they can't talk, they can't communicate, even they were upset and they were communicating their pain through jumping up and down or smacking their heads or hitting their heads. Um, and you can tell they knew that my mum was in that coffin and that they were never going to see her again. So I would say for me, that was one of the most emotional parts of the day. And, uh, you know, seeing how many people she touched, I'm talking grown men crying, you know, I'm talking big butch drivers, people that worked for the firm, and it was so nice to see that most of the company was out there clapping for her, and it made me realise that, you know, when I depart this earth, I want to be remembered for the kind of things she did, the way she lived her life, and I made a conscious decision that day to try and take the skills that she had although I can never be like her I do have the same blood flowing through me so I'd like to take some of those traits and live those through in the way I do business the way I am as a person and the way I just live my life generally um a couple of things lastly you know James can talk I could carry on talking for another hour but um there's a few things I wanted to share from the eulogy and the speech that I gave that day Um, and one of the things is the following. Mum always took an interest and was involved directly with my work. She was almost like a silent board member who always wanted to be involved or at least wanted to be told what was going on. In a weird kind of way, I really enjoyed having her by my side, especially in the last project we did together. Forget having a builder's mate to help you. I had my very own daisy mate. A laborer, a tradesman, and everything in between, only a month before her diagnosis, she was helping me strip out a kitchen, cutting down trees, hurling rubble into skips. she would make the most she would make most young men look weak. There comes a time in your life when you realize your parents are not going to be around forever, and for me, this happened around three years ago when I wrote the following line in my diary in my journal: "Spend time with your mother, ring her, or see her." So that I have no time regrets once she departs this earth. And that's exactly what I did. I made a conscious effort to call her, see her, tell her rude jokes and just be presence. Just be in her presence. I remember every time she would call me, her opening line would be Ki Gibanda. And in Punjabi that basically means What's up brother? What's going on? You know, and I'd always joke and reply to her, Hava nikli and again in Punjabi that basically means, are you still breathing? And God do I wish I could say that to her right now and she'd reply, yeah, I am still breathing. My mother wasn't just a woman who gave birth to me, she was my best friend, my biggest fan, my number one supporter, and the one person I wanted to share all my good news with, especially the deals I was working on. She was always as excited as I was when I told her what I was working on. She was the one person who knew what I was thinking, how I was feeling and she was the only person I could openly talk to about about my inner emotions, something I've always struggled with. If you're lucky enough to still see those words, mum or dad calling on your mobile phone, don't take them for granted. Because one day you're going to wish you could still see those again. Just remember... You only get one mum and dad, and if you're not spending enough time with them or if you're not constantly reminding them how important they are, I think um you really should be you know you realize at times like this um that they are just there for your you know they all they want is betterment for you. All they really care is for you to be successful. All they really care is for you to fly and do great things. So um, take some time. Give them a phone call. Give them a FaceTime. You know, do what you need to do. But ultimately, when they're gone, they're gone. And you really don't want to have any regrets whatsoever. And I can gladly say that I have no time regrets. I have no regrets of not spending enough time with my mother. In fact, I have nothing but fond memories. So on that note, and before I finish this podcast... Um, I thought it'd be good to record this just to let everybody know what's been going on in the world of James for the last six months, six months and a few weeks. Um, and if you haven't already seen, um, the charity that I'm collecting for in memory of my mum, you can see it through my Instagram profile by just clicking on the bio and checking out the link tree and just, just visiting that page. If you haven't donated, any small donation would be great. Um, The the challenge for the month was 250 kilometers of running, which means we have covered just under six marathons, 156 miles uh, in 22 or 23 running days, which is a a pretty big challenge. You know, if, uh, if anybody's run that kind of distance before, you know what it does to your body. You know exactly what it does to your legs and what it does to your feet so uh the reason for doing that for me was because I needed to do something positive I needed um the scales to balance out you know when you have a loss you must have a gain and I wanted this to be a real positive gain for me because knowing myself and knowing my personality I could have very easily have gone the other way and just you know sat there drowning my sorrows and and uh, you know doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't be so for me, this challenge was more so to get my emotions in check, uh, to raise some money for a great charity—a charity that supports um, abandoned young girls in India—and also to elevate my mind to a new level of thinking. Um, and I think this challenge has honestly done that. Um, it's allowed me to take myself to a place where I've been able to outperform, you know, my previous uh running endeavors you know and it's been absolutely fantastic doing it and I don't know what's carried me through this I don't know what's kept me so focused in getting this run done and getting these events over the line um I'd like to think you know it was my mum I'd like to think something extremely positive up there has kept me going thank you so much for tuning into this podcast um you know, I am back on the podcast platform. I have a massive long list of people that I wanna interview or that need to be interviewed, and I've got some really exciting stuff going on um We've got some exciting news to announce as well over the next coming months. It does involve myself and the yellow team man. We're working on a few things that will hopefully be so exciting for you guys. um My new educational program launches at the end of this month as well, sorry at the end of next month, which focuses on uh, mentoring and coaching um and yeah yeah it just feels really really good to be back on the social platform and interviewing people and 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 kickstarting the j2hub podcast again with some really good exciting stuff um if you enjoyed this podcast guys as always please do leave us a review on apple uh podcast or jump onto the facebook page and leave a review there if you think it's beneficial for somebody else as well do share it with them um and yeah do like and subscribe to uh the social channels and do follow me on instagram i am pretty active on there um i do like to keep it real and post honestly and and, you know i don't really care if i upset anybody when i'm posting if i've got something to say i'm going to say it um and thank you thank you once again thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you next week with another episode thanks for tuning in to the j2 hub podcast with james sahota If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.